You know, as I've been moving toward today and my preparations and some of the events, uh, one in particular of late, Romans 8.28 has been in my mind a lot. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we've all been through things at times where the good really has to be searched for because it's not evident, it's not visible. It's not something tangible or easily arrived at in our thought process. And in the midst of all that and thinking about that, my mind went to the 14th of Nisan, 32 AD. Imagine what was running through the disciples' minds. The hope of the world, the savior of Israel has now been arrested, brutally beaten, nailed to a cross, and is proclaimed to be dead. How can this work together for good? And yet, what do we call this day? It's Good Friday, and there is indeed good that we're going to examine this morning, and many details on this sacred occasion that we could visit. And as we mentioned on Palm Sunday, we know what date this is. We now know that this was the ninth hour, or 3 p.m., and the fact that the streets of Jerusalem that once rang with cries of Hosanna only four days before, hours earlier, began to resonate with shouts of crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. How could this work together for good? An illegal trial of an innocent man at the hands of insidious and jealous rulers now culminated in the beating of this man, Micah says, to the point where he was not even recognizable as a human being. And this was followed by the brutal and merciless death of being hung, hung on a cross. A soldier pierced the side of this innocent man with his spirit to ensure that he was indeed dead. The sack of the heart was broken, water and blood flowed from the puncture as proof. And as this man, this victim of this merciless crime, breathed his last, the sun darkened, the earthquake, the veil in the Jewish temple was rent from top to bottom. So many things that we could talk about in light of the journey from the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha. But there's one of great significance I want to address on this most sacred day, and that's the question we all ask sometimes when we arrive at that Romans 8:28 moment, and that is why? Who was this man? Why was he silent when he was beaten with stripes? Why was the one who by his own confession could have summoned 12 legions of angels to come to his aid? Why did he allow himself to die, especially in such a brutal manner? And in John 17, one to five, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and offered what has been dubbed the great high priestly prayer. Jesus is our great high priest. Yes. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have, what's the next word? 
finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Who was this man? It was Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the true and living God. Why did he come? He came to finish the work the Father had assigned him to do. And what was that work? John the Beloved says in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here's why he came. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. Today we recognize the greatest travesty of justice in the history of the world in that a man despised, rejected, and murdered actually came to die for the sins of those who would do that to him, he being the only one who could save. But as S.M. Lockridge said in his wonderful sermon some years ago about Good Friday, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen. 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 Our title for this Good Friday, as well as Sunday, is simply the word as we announced on Sunday, finished. Jesus finished the work the Father sent him to do. And the Greek word translated as finished has greater meaning than what we would understand it to mean in the English language. In John 19, 28 to 30, we're told after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, he's hanging on the cross here, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, a branch, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now I'm sure we've all heard that the Greek term translated as finished is tetelestai. And in this text, we also need to note that tetelestai is present Twice, it's also translated as accomplished, which broadens our understanding of the meaning of the word. But there's even more to testelestai, if you can even say it, than what we can imagine at a single glance. It's actually, and for you linguists or grammarians out there, it's actually a combination of two verb tenses, the present tense and the aorist tense. And these two, when combined together, form a tense that is exclusive to the Greek language only, and that is the perfect tense. And I thought, the perfect tense is perfect for the one who's going to hang on the cross and die for the sins of our world as a perfect savior. And therefore, being in the perfect tense means the word tetelestai is linear. And what the word actually means, it doesn't just mean it is finished, it means it is finished and will continue to be finished. Hallelujah. What he finished then is still true now. What he finished then, we can enjoy now. And that includes what the most famous verse in the scripture tells us and reminds us of, as the Lord said, remember me as often as you do these things. We need to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? everlasting life. I want to share three things with you this Good Friday afternoon. And the first comes from Romans 5, 7, and 8, and John 3, 16. So would you bow your heads 
And let's ask God's blessing on our time. And Father, we are grateful this day that this is indeed a good Friday, even though the events we think of and often describe so fittingly on this day are brutal and heinous, illegal, all the other terms we use to describe this day. But we thank you there is good that we can examine that came from it. We thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross. Help us to understand it better this day. And Lord, we pray that your name is glorified in our hearts and minds as we remember the work of Christ on the cross and that which he finished on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first thing I think for us to understand is that Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For scarcely uh, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God, those are two of my favorite words in Scripture. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still, who knows it? Sinners. Sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul makes the point in verse 7 that there may be good people in life who will risk their life for the sake of others. And there may be others who are worthy of such a risk, like a great king or a leader, perhaps. And then he adds the two most significant words in Scripture, two of the most, and that is, but God. And we need to remember, when we were all messed up, but God, we need to remember, we were headed for hell, but God. We were hopelessly lost, but God. And this important phrase tells us that there is something different about what God does that is distinct from what man does, even what a good man would do. For greater love is no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And the phrase interrupts the flow of thought and turns our focus and attention back to God. It draws our mind to the fact that God has done what is scarcely done, even for the most worthy of human beings, and yet he does it for the unworthy, and that is, he does it for sinners. Now, here's the first thing I want to draw your mind to about the cross of Christ and the finished work that he accomplished on it, and it's just this. Listen, this good Friday afternoon, on the cross, the finished work brought about this reality. God's love for us is unquestionably proven. God's love for us is unquestionably proven. Life can be hard. That's right. Amen. Life can be brutal. But the cross finished any questioning, even in hard and brutal times, of God's love. He cannot be questioned because he demonstrated it in a way that is exclusive to him. And that while we were still in our sins... Christ died for us. Somebody say amen today. Amen. And Ephesians reminds us in 1, 3 to 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now get this, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his good pleasure to adopt us as sons and daughters. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, here's one of my favorite phrases, accepted 
in the beloved. Listen, there will be times in life where we wonder and even question some of the why would God allow this or why didn't he stop that type of things. But his love, even in the midst of the hardest of, of things to understand, cannot be questioned because it was demonstrated in an undeniable way on the cross. And listen, let me remind you, I used to point to the cross on the wall in our old building. If you're searching for proof that God loves you, don't look to your circumstances. Look to the cross. Don't look to what you may or may not be going through, may or may not have. The demonstration of God's love was unquestionably in that while we were yet sinners, he died for the ungodly. He died for us on the cross. Now, the second thing to consider that is finished and will continue to be finished that was accomplished by the cross is this. Listen this morning or afternoon. The ability to be reconciled to God was accomplished. The ability to be reconciled to God was to telestai. It was finished and will continue to be finished. And while the unquestionable demonstration of God's love for us is foundational to understanding the significance of the cross of Christ, it's also important that we understand that satisfying the righteous requirements of a holy God were part of why he went to the cross in order that we could be reconciled to him. And this was also finished on the cross once and for all. For Leviticus tells us in 1711 that the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is blood that makes atonement for the, soul, for the soul. Listen, Jesus didn't come to save our bodies. He came to save our souls. Amen. And these bodies are going to someday put on immortal incorruptibility in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And in Hebrews 9.22, we're told, according to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. There were things that were not in the ceremonial aspect, uh, didn't require blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission. remission. There's no forgiveness. There's no remitting of our sins. Now, listen, we all know the wages of sin is death. Correct. Right? Correct. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages had to be paid to satisfy the righteous requirements of a just and holy God. And Jesus satisfied those requirements by shedding his own blood on our behalf. And that's why Jesus could say in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And listen, while it may not be popular today, and you know that's always my main concern, <laughs> This is what enables Christianity to make the exclusive claims that it does. Amen. Listen, Jesus is not one among many quote-unquote religious rulers. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. Every other founder of a religion is dead or going to die and will remain in their grave until they either stand before God someday or if they happen to repent and come to Christ, they will be at the judgment seat of Christ and receive rewards for that which they have done in their bodies but the fact is jesus has a right to make the exclusive claims and we therefore have that same right because he's the only one alive or he's the only one that went to the grave and is now alive forevermore he finished the work of reconciling us to god by his own death blood and resurrection and ascension but we don't want to talk about easter today <laughs> because sunday's coming amen yeah. now 
It is the Christ of Christianity that gives us access to God by the shedding of his own innocent blood for our sins. After all, Paul would later tell the saints in Colossae in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, and you who were once alienated and what's the next word? Enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's the birthplace of all wicked works, the mind. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through what? Death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is one of those places where people stop reading too soon. We need to continue in the faith. Amen? There is a continuation of the faith that was established by the apostles. And we could not be reconciled to God by good works. We could not be reconciled to God by being a good moral person. We could not be reconciled to God by giving to the poor or any other seemingly good or benevolent activity. The price to be reconciled to God had to be paid in blood and Jesus paid it all. Amen. That's why we can call today Good Friday. And what was required for mankind's reconciliation to God was accomplished at the cross as Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Now, this eliminated all challenges as to whether or not God is a God of love and that he did what man could never do for himself. God did this through the ultimate demonstration of love. It wasn't simply a communicated love. It wasn't an expression of love. It was a demonstrated and therefore a proven love. And he did all this while we were alienated and enemies because of our wicked works. And Christ, through the death of his own physical body, has made us holy and blameless before God. Isn't that wonderful today? He's made us holy. He's made us blameless and even without reproach before God if we continue in the faith that was established by the apostolic teaching back when the church was first founded. Listen, there is no other gospel. Amen. There's only the gospel of Christ and him crucified, as Paul said. And the cross was not just the ultimate, I love you. The cross said, I am willing and I am able to save you and reconcile you to God. Now, one last thing that was finished and will continue to be finished before we come to the table of remembrance on what happened on Passover of 32 AD, and it still baffles me how Easter weekend and Passover fall on different weekends for some reason. Passover is the last weekend, and Easter should have been last Sunday if we're going to follow the Jewish calendar. But here we are. I think any day is a good day to remember the, yes. the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, Amen. here's the next thing, and this is probably uh, one of the most significant things that is beneficial to us that happened on the cross of Christ, and it's just this. Listen, this afternoon, the grip of sin was forever broken. Amen. The grip of sin was forever broken. Yes, the cross demonstrated the depth of God's love for us. Yes, the cross satisfied the requirements for reconciling us to God. But the beauty of the perfect tense of Tetelestai is that what happened then is still impacting us now. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 6:14, sin shall not have dominion or authority over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Aren't you glad sin is no longer our master? Yes. Sin does not and cannot rule over us. 
It cannot dominate us. It cannot intimidate us. Because when the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Amen. And this is what the cross was all about. And in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, Paul would put it like this. And you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath, Wrath just like everybody else is what he's saying. And Paul says, we were dead, but now we are alive. Again, that uh, implies a continuation. We are alive in the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, according to the prince of the power of the air, meaning the head of the fallen spirit realm, is no longer the driving force in our lives, drawing us to walk according to the course of this world. I don't want to follow after this world, do you? No. Especially not now. It's getting crazier by the day, isn't it? Amen. Aren't you glad that we have clarity in Christ Jesus and sin does not have dominion over us? Aren't you glad that because of Jesus Christ, we today can recognize, because we have the mind of Christ, because we can understand spiritual things, because of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, discernment is among them. Listen, we can well understand that inside the womb of a mother is a living, breathing, someday, human being. And we're not able to be deluded by the adversary to change the fact that long since, and of course uh, this past Sunday, uh, I made one of my um, rather glaring faux pas, uh, talking about the chromosomal arrangement at position 23 being XO, <laughs> not XY. Come on, XO is loves and kisses, so you know, it still, still works, right? And that's a good description of us men, right? Hugs and kisses. Uh, yeah, yeah. But listen, aren't you glad that we have a mind that can realize what's going on? We have a mind to see what's happening in the world. We see that things are moving rapidly toward the tribulation period, and we can discern these things, and we don't have to say, I wonder what's going on. I don't wonder what's going on. I know what's going on. Jesus is coming to get us pretty soon. And you know where that all started? The cross of Christ when the power of sin was broken over us and he redeemed us by putting on the likeness of sinful flesh. And listen, Romans 6, 5 through 11 says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, figuratively, obviously, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Remember, Sunday's coming. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, the word reckon has an accounting association, and it can mean to impute to another's account, but it can also mean to take inventory. In other words, because of the cross of Christ, 
through our faith and trust in him as Savior, we can consider ourselves amongst God's inventory of redeemed souls, dead to sin and alive to God. And that's why this darkest day in human history is referred to as Good Friday. And it's with this understanding that now we can come to the table of remembrance. We know and understand that the cup and the blood that it represents was an expression of love unlike any other. We also know that the same cup represents the finished work of enabling man to be reconciled to God. And yet the same cup also represents the breaking of the bonds of sin. Now, we know that the blood would be, uh, in order to be shed, would require a body to flow through, a body to be beaten, a body to suffer in order to shed that blood, a body to be wounded for our transgressions, a body that became a curse for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to think about this. What an incredible exchange program God has. From alienated sinner to righteous saint through the blood of Jesus. And as it should be, this Good Friday, there is a solemnity surrounding services like this. As the events we mentioned at the outset roll through our minds as they should, the mockery, the beating, the pulling of the beard, the crown of thorns, the stripes on the back, the nails, the spear, the brutality of this day is sobering to be sure. But there's something else associated with this day that I hope will set the tone for our communion time. In Luke 22:19, he, Jesus, took bread and gave what? Thanks. And broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Mark says in 14.23, And then he took the cup, and when he had given what? Thanks. He gave it to them, and they all drank for, from it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Think about this. We often visit uh, Paul's recounting of what the Lord told him in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, that on the same night that he was betrayed, he gave thanks for the bread. On the same night that he was betrayed, he gave thanks for the cup to the Father. And therefore, shouldn't we give thanks today? Yes. Shouldn't that be part of our communion time? Not just simply recalling and remembering all the brutal things that he endured for, the, for us, even though we certainly need to include that. I think we do well to remember that at times when life is hard and harsh, there's one thing that we can always give thanks for, and that is the body and the blood of Jesus broken and poured out for you and me. And before the elders come forward and pass out the elements, I want us to take a minute and thank him. And thank him for what he's done for us. And not simply remember uh, what the elements represent, uh, his putting on that uh, body like ours so he would have the capacity for death and also becoming our 
near kinsmen that he would have the right to pay the redemption price for our sins, not having owed the redemption price himself because he is our sinless savior. He not, it's not that he was our sinless savior. He is our sinless savior. Amen. He is alive forevermore. Amen. Yeah. You know, I think we don't often enough thank him for saving us from hell. I don't think hell gets on our prayer list as frequently as it ought to. I think we ought to thank him every single day that he saved us from a devil's hell and eternal torment and the lake of fire and all those things that we do know about it. I think we need to spend more time thanking him that we're going to heaven instead and that our future is bright instead of bleak. I think we need to thank him for loving us through our doubts and fears. I think we need to thank him for reconciling us while we were yet sinners. I think we need to thank him that sin no longer has dominion over us because all these things have one common factor and they all happen because of the cross. They all happen because of what he endured on Good Friday. I think we ought to thank him that we have been made alive through his death. So I just want to take a minute before we have the guys come forward. And well, of course, I guess we don't have to pass them out today. We have uh, a piece of styrofoam and some kind of juice in there. <laughs> so I just want to offer you the opportunity just to maybe take a moment and say thank you. And I really want to encourage you start with thank you that I'm not going to hell. Thank you, because that's what this is really all about. So just bow your heads and take a few moments and just thank the Lord, even as he did on the same night he was betrayed. And Father, we are grateful this day. And we thank you for sending your own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh that he might be the Savior of the world. We thank you that this was your plan before the foundations of the world, before you hung the earth on nothing, before you spoke the stars into existence and numbered and named them all, before you set the boundaries for the seas, before you arranged 
the constellations. You had a plan to save us. And Lord, we are thankful that there was something grim to save us from. And thank you that you have saved us by the blood of your own son from an eternal destiny apart from you in a place that is described by your word as a place of torment. We thank you, Lord, that you have not given us that which we deserved, but you blessed us with such unmerited favor, such grace, such mercy. But Lord, we thank you that our sins were not simply swept under a proverbial rug. They were paid for. And the debt was satisfied as Christ became the propitiation for our sins. So we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. And then an attitude of thanksgiving, remove the top portion of your cup and let's all partake together. Lord, we are grateful that as you did with the bread, you offered thanks for the cup, that third cup that was passed at that Passover meal, the cup of redemption, knowing that it was blood that was necessary to reconcile us. And even with the difficulty of the hour, even as you prayed in the garden and sweat as it were, great drops of blood, you prayed not to avoid it, but you pray for the Father's will. And we thank you for your willingness. Though you despise the shame, you endured the cross on our behalf. And the redemption price was paid in full for the whole world, and for that we're grateful. So Lord, we thank you for your blood. Your word has said the life of the flesh is in, in the blood, and it's by your blood that we can live forever. And for that, we praise you. Well, Lord, we also thank you that we can live for you now. And Lord, as we have the mind of Christ as the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Lord, may this be a cup of agreement as well. And we're going to live for you by the power of your spirit in us. So Lord, we give you thanks for your shed blood on our behalf a demonstration of love that cannot be questioned by any human being. So we say we are grateful and we recognize and remember that which you've done for us. And I ask that you all partake together in thanks for his shed blood. Well, we found that interesting that in Mark chapter 10, we find that the two brothers that Jesus named Boanerges, sons of thunder, had their mom go to Jesus and say, 
do whatever it is that I ask of you to do. Grant that my boys can sit on your right hand and your left, the two places of prominence when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to the boys, James and John, and said, Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? And in typical Bo energy size, they said, I can almost hear their voices, we are able. <laughs> and Jesus said, you will indeed drink it. And they did. But they had no clue what he was talking about at the moment. Because really what he was asking them, so are you willing? Are you really willing to live for me? Are you willing to live all out for me? And listen, you know, we talk a lot about it because it's true. We're running out of time. So let's be all in. Amen. He was, wasn't he? Yes. I mean, you know, there's so many things get pushed into any Christian holiday. You know, if you've been to Israel, you know, there's a, a place that's actually a, a bus depot that has a kind of a skull looking hill behind it. And it's possibly place it does look like a skull there's no question about that but you know we sing about on a hill far away well he wasn't on a hill he was hung on the main thoroughfare where as many potential people could see him as possible that was the Roman way and this is what he's saying to James and John are you willing to be humiliated for me are you willing to stand for me no matter what? Are you willing to have the same experience that I'm about to have? And you have to wonder what was resonated, resonating through the minds, especially of John, as he stood there and he was commissioned to care for Jesus' mother Mary. Hmm, he asked me, am I able? And now I see his cup. And it is interesting that John was the last of the 12 to die. But he wrote the most about Jesus coming again. And listen, I think we live in a time where we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we willing? Are we all in? And remember, Jesus is presented to us as the word of God in John 1.1. 1, 1. The word wasn't just with God. The word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14 says. So listen, being able to drink the cup, so to speak, means being willing not to minimize his word, not to diminish the authority of the God of all creation, not to let culture push us around, not to let them redefine things that God has established as being true. And part of that means in our day, standing up and saying male and female he created them man woman the only acceptable sexual activity within marriage to stand up for the things that the bible proclaims and it doesn't matter whether culture likes it or not because john 8 29 jesus said i always and only do that which pleases the father so we need to live to please the father right how often? Always and only or exclusively should we live to please the Father. Listen, it, it, 
it is an amazing time to be alive. There's no question about that. And there's never a good Friday where these things aren't going to resonate with our hearts and minds as we race back to, I, I don't know, most of you have probably seen The Passion of the Christ, right? I could only watch it once. I've never seen it again since the first time we watched it as a church in a theater. I just couldn't take it. Just could not. Even in this imaginary scene that was created by actors and directed and produced, I just couldn't take it. Knowing that they fell short of what actually happened to Jesus. So listen, if he's going to go that far, we can certainly put up with some insults. We can certainly be laughed at and scoffed. We can certainly be called out of touch and out of step and all those things. I mean, that's pretty insignificant compared to having your back ripped open with a rod and then with a cat of nine tails with embedded pieces of metal and bone to rip your skin open down to the rib cage. I don't think any of us are going to see that. So if somebody laughs at you, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, blessed are you if you are reproached for the name of Christ. On their part, he is blaspheme, but on your part, he's glorified. So listen, if we're living in a way that cause others to mock us and mistreat us, we're actually doing pretty good. And we're actually blessed. And yes, they may blaspheme him, but we're bringing glory to him. So let's stand fast in these last days, right? I mean, that's what today is all about. Sin doesn't have dominion over us. Oh, this happened to me. I can't believe a God of love would allow that to happen. Well, let's see. He hung on a highway naked before the people he created to die for your sins. And he was mocked and spit at and beaten brutally and hung there. And then when it was time, he gave up his spirit and said, it is finished and will continue to be finished. It's finished for good. So let's live for him. Amen? Amen. Let's live for him like never, ever before.